This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Did you have a good week? Good. Well, we're getting started today in, in a series that y'all listen to me. I, I think that this season of the year reminds us of a reality that we need to live in. And it's this. It's, it's extremely simple, but it's something that we need to be reminded of and we need to learn to see it in the heart of God. And that's that there are parts of our lives that even though we're breathing, we're existing, they're not alive. But through the grace and mercy of God, they can come back to life, right? I mean, we look around. I don't know if y'all have looked uh, carefully, right? But just a few weeks ago, the leaves were, were gone, right? Trees were barren, but as the climate is kind of shifting a little bit, spring is coming, there, there's things happening. It's coming back to life, right? And I believe that in the resurrection of Jesus, we find an invitation to come Back to life. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at that uh, very closely. Just along those lines, uh, really, we've been blessed as a church to have brought a, a number of young babies into the world in the last uh, few months. And so uh, every Mother's Day, which is just a few weeks away, we like to take some time and, and celebrate that to dedicate our children to the Lord. Um, and, and so if you have had a baby, in the last uh, year or have not dedicated your child, we'd invite you to consider doing that at Mother's Day. You can sign up at guest services. Let me just kind of give you uh, uh, just the way that we approach that here for us. Um, it's not a baptism. Uh, dedication is not a statement of salvation. What it is, is it's a commitment as a church family and as a family to say, we're going to raise this child in the ways of the Lord. It's that commitment. That's why we take it seriously. So that's, you can sign up for that at guest services on your way out today. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I, I, I heard a story this week that really reminded me of where I think many of us are. We're actually coming up right now. We're celebrating uh, what just was a few weeks ago, the 25th anniversary of the largest art theft in United States history, March 18th. To, or 1990, March 18th, 18th, 1990, in downtown Boston at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, a night security guard was, was just doing his rounds when he heard a, a loud beating at the door. Okay, he showed up to the door to find two uniformed Boston police officers. They had the correct uniform. They had the right badge. They were communicating with someone from the outside. And they said, sir, we have had a, a few complaints of some disturbances. We're investigating those right now. Can we come inside and look around? And the young security guard who had dropped out of college just a few months before because he found out that his young wife was pregnant, and so he realized not being able to support them as a full-time student, he was going to have to do something. So he took a, guard, a, night, a job as a night guard at the museum. The young security guard let them in, and as soon as they were in, they subdued him tied him up, and began stealing $200 million worth of priceless paintings. There were two Rembrandts in the museum that they literally walked up to and cut the painting 
out of its original frame, forever destroying a timeless work of art. See, I think many of us are just like that guard. There are things that have approached us that we thought were life, and we let them in. We let them come into our lives only to be taken captive by them because it was not life that they contained. The first thing I'm going to tell you today, and this is in your notes, that it's very easy to try to find life where we can only find death. It's very easy to try to find life where we can only find death. I mean, isn't that how we learned about the resurrection of Jesus? That his followers returned to his grave to prepare his body for burial. And as they were, they, this is the moment that that happened out of Luke 24. Look at, look at what's said here. As they stood there puzzled, not finding the body inside of the tomb, two men suddenly appeared and said to them, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. And I think that that is where many of us are. We're looking for life in places that can only lead to death. Now, I want to just remind you of something that if you were here last week that I said. See, the resurrection of Jesus is not simply a historical fact. I could spend plenty of time talking about it as a historical fact, but it's not simply a historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus is an invitation to live a new life. The resurrection of Jesus is an invitation to live a new life. You see, if God can throw the sin of all humanity onto the shoulders of Jesus and execute him and within three days bring him back to life and restore him, whatever we're facing, it's not too big for him. Okay? Whatever death has crept in and caught us captive, it's not stronger than him. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, which is written by John, as this great vision of what heaven could be like begins to unfold in the first chapter, John meets Jesus. And I want you to listen to what Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, says to John. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And this will become kind of our, our base verse for this series. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I want you to know today. That whatever has taken you captive, whatever sin you thought was going to lead to life, but it has trapped you in a wall of death, I want you to understand today that Jesus has the keys. He says that after all of this has been done, I'm living. I'm going to live forevermore. I'm the first, I'm the last, and I hold the keys to sin, death, and the grave. If you want to get out, I've got the keys. So over the next four weeks, 
what we're going to do is we're going to examine four different aspects of life that God wants to give us. They're, they're characteristics of the life that God wants us to live. That's for everybody. It's, there's nobody exempt from these. These are all blessings and good things that God wants to give us that we, many of us, are not living with. And each week we're going to kind of anchor ourselves in the story of somebody out of Scripture. This week we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was, as the first century church began to emerge, maybe the most significant figure in the whole first century, okay? He, uh, as we begin to read the book of Acts, as it begins to, the church begins to emerge, the Apostle Paul is a, the persecutor of the church. I mean, he's, he's the guy actually going out and saying, no, you guys are wrong. Jesus is not the Christ. What you're doing is, is wrong. You're destroying the world and executing Christians, until he comes face to face with Jesus. And everything changed. And God lit a fire in his heart that was not going to be put out. But I want you to understand something about what God does in our hearts. Y'all look at this statement. God will light the fire in your heart, but you need to get ready. A storm is coming, and life is going to rain on that fire. There's two types of people in this room right now. There are people that are in the storm and people who are about to be in the storm. It might be peaceful right now, but get ready. One's coming. See, the Apostle Paul lived that. I mean, he lived that. And he gave his life to Jesus. And you would think that this Roman citizen, this well-educated uh, great orator, great writer, would have had the smooth sailing journey to, to making an impact in the world. But let me tell you something. I mean, his life from that point on was permeated with storms. I mean, he was going to, as much as any of us ever would, experience the resistance of life. He's going to be imprisoned. Eventually, he's going to be executed. He's shipwrecked. At one point, he's bitten by a snake, all right? And he even gets stoned, guys. No, not, I don't mean like that kind of stone. Y'all, I don't know what y'all are thinking about. I'm like with real rocks, right? That's what I'm talking about. Like he was, and, and they, they stoned him. And all throughout this time, for some reason, he has the ability to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. We see one of the storms that the Apostle Paul faced in Acts 17. We find it here. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they, the sailors that were piloting the ship, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope 
of being saved. I want you to understand something. That's just how storms come up in our lives. All right. I mean, for, for the guys that were piloting that ship, they're doing everything right. They caught the right wind. They were traveling a safe route, which was right along the coast of an island, right? Not out into the deep sea. But then out of nowhere, a storm came in. And watch how they reacted to the storm. Immediately, they began to let go of the things they needed. They threw their cargo overboard. That means they threw their rations, their food, the stuff that, that for them to make the journey the way they needed to, they began to let go of it. Even tells us that when that didn't work and the ship was still being hammered by the storm, what did they do? They threw the ship's tackle overboard. I mean, they let go of everything. And at the end, as the storm continued to rage, continued to rage, they gave up all hope. And I know that there are some people in here right now. You're in the middle of a storm. You haven't seen the sunshine in a while. And you might be teetering on the edge of giving up hope. I want to pray that over the next few minutes, as we talk about storms and what God wants to give us, that God will give you hope. And more than that, God will bring you back to life. Let's look at storms. I want to help you understand four things about storms today. The first one is that storms are inevitable. They're inevitable. They're going to happen. That's why there are two types of people in this room, people who are in the storm right now or people who are about to be in the storm. Jesus said it this way in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, not because of your circumstances, but in him we can have peace because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus did not say, hey, in this world, maybe it might not go so well. He did not say, you know, it's probably going to be a difficult road. No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And if you expect to choose Jesus and everything to all of a sudden lock in and go smoothly, you've bought into a lie because Jesus said, in this world, but take heart. We can have peace because he overcame He's beat the world. See, storms are inevitable. The second thing that we need to see about storms, especially from the passage that we just read, is that storms are unpredictable. Storms are unpredictable. As great as we can calculate, as much money as we can stuff away in the bank, as, as much as we can plan and prepare, life can change in an instant. How many of y'all know that? Some of y'all have experienced that firsthand, that in uh, life in, in a substantial way can change in just a moment. That there are storms that can blow in and the devastation that is reaped by those. I mean, just can be massive. We feel a little bit like Jeremiah in chapter 4 where he says this, disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed. My shelter in a moment. But we need to know this about storms too. Number three, storms are impartial. I want you to know this. Let me just give you some, some help today. You, you're not weathering a storm. 
because you deserve it. You're not going through a difficult season because God's punishing you. Storms are really the natural result of living in a fallen world. We're going to deal with the consequences of sin because when sin entered the way that we live, it literally broke everything. We're not living the way that God originally designed it. It's a really pale facsimile, right? And storms are impartial. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.45. Listen to this. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's saying is that good things are going to happen to bad and good people. Just because something good happens doesn't mean you're good. All right? And the rain is going to fall on those that are righteous and unrighteous. That means bad things are going to happen to people who are living for God, and bad things are going to happen to people who are not living for God. The storms of life are impartial, but here is the hope. Number four, storms are temporary. Storms are temporary. It's not going to last forever. What you're enduring, the storm that you're standing under, is not going to be life forever. Hebrews 10 says this. So do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away the confidence that you have that God can do whatever you need him to do. Don't let go of the confidence that you have that God can carry you through. Don't release the confidence that you're carrying that God is strong enough to help you overcome your problem. Don't be like those sailors that let go of the things that they needed. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Y'all listen to me. We live in a world that wants to fix temporary problems with permanent solutions. I'm going to say that again. We live in a world that wants to fix temporary problems with permanent solutions. That's why divorce is so prevalent. Okay? Y'all just need to understand that. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I want you to understand that that's exactly, everybody listen to me on this. That's exactly what suicide is. Suicide is a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. See, we're all going to face storms. And some of our storms are going to blow in, they're going to blow out, and sometimes we're going to feel like the Apostle Paul on that ship, where he would eventually be ship, shipwrecked and on a deserted island. That's where he actually gets bitten by the snake, right? We're going to feel like that sometimes. Like this thing's never going to end, but let me just assure you, it's going to end. The storms are temporary, and we have to decide how will we deal with storms in life. 
are going to run from them. Far too many of us do that. When the storm blows in, our, our kind of gut reaction to it is to go bury our head in the sand and not pay any attention to it. Like not face it, not, not even recognize, not give it any kind of thought, not just run away. Some of us get bitter. We look up at God and we say, there's no way you can be real if this is happening to me. But what we need to do is we need to learn to face the storm. And in the middle of the storm, as we stand against it, to trust God. A few weeks ago, I got to watch one of our partner churches share one of their staff members' testimony. As I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, that's such a good testimony to share with you guys, because I know that there's many of you that have faced similar circumstances. And so I want you to watch how this family and this man in particular dealt with the storm that blew into his life. Watch with me. In 2004, my mom called me on a Sunday morning and she had some bad news. She said that my dad had a brain aneurysm and he made his way back to his chair and just fell over. They rushed him to the hospital, and then just a few short hours after that, he, he passed away. It just rocked my world because my dad was such a good friend, and then he was not in my world anymore. He was not in my life anymore. One month later, my son came back home because we wanted to spend some time together as a family and do the things that families do during a death in the family. And we were just going to go to the beach, and my wife called me and said, we can't go to the beach. Eric has had a problem with his chest, and he, we need to take him to the hospital. So she took him to the hospital, and she found out that he had lymphoma. And then only 10 months later, he, uh, he passed away. People would come around, and they would say things like, you know, it's going to be okay, but nothing helped. I couldn't find joy. I was never suicidal, and I can honestly say that I did think about it. It hurt so bad. I picked up my Bible one night just trying to find something in that, that that God would help me with, and I turned to the third chapter of Proverbs, and it 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 began, the, the chapter began, my son, so I, I just felt like God was just talking to me, you know, and uh, it said, trust Trust in me uh, and uh, lean not to your own understanding. And I think that's when things started to change. And then I knew that the joy of the Lord was my strength. I've realized that on my own, I can't, I can't do this. I, I had to realize that there is a God who loves me and he gives, he makes provisions for me to get through the day. And he gives me the joy that I need. It feels so good to be an overcomer and, and to smile after going through all of this. People are looking at us and they're watching us. We want them to see the good uh, that God has to offer. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When many of us face Storms, especially storms that significant. 
One of the first things that we throw overboard is joy. It's one of the first things we let go of. And during this series, I'm going to give you permission to do some things that I think are important for us. Because I want you to understand that even in the midst of great difficulty and great struggle, God has given us permission to live with joy. I mean, he's invited us to experience his wonderful provision, that God can take care of us, God can provide for us, and that we can trust him. And in that, we can live with joy even when the world around us seems like it's falling apart. I mean, we see that in Psalm 126, where the nation of Israel has been exiled and finally They're experiencing freedom, and they write these words. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We were one happy people, and now God, do it again. Listen to this. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. See, I think that God wants to give us permission to laugh again. To laugh again in the midst of great struggle, in the midst of our storms. Because for many of you, that was one of the things that was the cargo in life that you threw overboard. And God, throughout Scripture, tells us how important it is to embrace His joy. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at the first chapter of the book of Philippians. See, the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. The guy who who encountered so much difficulty. He encountered so much resistance, really weathered so many different storms. As he writes the book of Philippians, he's in a jail cell. It's really only about 10 by 10, right? Maybe even 8 by 8. It's a small little room, only four and a half foot tall. That's how big the the room was. So he was never able to stand up. Concrete walls, concrete floor. Imprisoned simply for sharing the gospel. And do you know what scholars say the theme of the book of Philippians is? It's joy. That in the middle of that kind of circumstances, the Apostle Paul shows us how to live with joy, how to laugh again. I'm going to give you three things to do that today. Number one, we need to stop focusing on the past. Stop focusing on on the past. I I love the way Rick Warren illustrates this. He says, just think about driving a car. When we're looking forward, most of our perspective allows us to see where we're going. But there's a small amount of what we can see that shows us what happened behind us. That's what life should look like. But far too many of us are trying to drive down the journey of life looking backwards at what's happened in the past. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 1.12. Now, 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that now I'm imprisoned, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What happened to me is actually compelling me forward. Like I'm not, I'm not looking at what, ha- I'm looking at what's happening, where I'm going. What happened is driving me forward. And when we spend too much time focused on the past, we can't see where we're going. Later in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is going to say these words. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the mark to which I'm called. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. Think about that. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, that's not one thing, guys. But it is. Because there's no way to press on without forgetting what is behind. See, there's some of you who have great past. And our past victories can be as much a barrier as our past failures. Forgetting what is behind, pressing on. We need to forget the past. The Apostle Paul is doing that in Philippians. He's saying, you know what? That what's happened? No, what's happening is now I have an opportunity, even though I'm in prison, to advance the gospel. He's going to continue, and he's going to show us that we need to discover the new opportunities. Number two, we need to discover the new opportunities. Whenever a storm rolls in, It may destroy something that exists already, but it will open up a door to something that's new. Let's watch how that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. 13 and verse 13, continuing on. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, this storm blew in, and it took some things from me. I used to be able to stand in front of whole churches and preach the gospel. I could stand in front of whole cities and tell them about Jesus, but now I'm in this prison cell. But I have a new opportunity. Because every day, there are two new guards that are stationed right outside. And I can talk to them. And as I have, it's become clear, not just to these guards, but to all of the palace guard, that the reason that I'm in here, the reason that I'm in chains, the reason I'm imprisoned right now, is not because I've done something wrong, but because I'm in here for Jesus. They know that. And because I'm so bold when I'm in here, my brothers and sisters who are outside are proclaiming the word of God even more boldly, more courageously because of the way that I'm behaving in here. You see, he immediately shifted to understand that I have a brand new opportunity that lies right in front of me right now. It might not be thousands of people. It's just two guys who are stationed right outside my door. But I can seize that opportunity. We need to understand that storms will come in. And when storms roll in to our lives, just like when they roll into our towns and our cities, they do change the landscape. They very well may level a forest, but it is a new opportunity to plant a new crop. 
in every storm, there's a new opportunity, and we need to learn to seize that. And the third thing that we need to do to allow ourselves to laugh again in the middle of the storm is we need to learn to focus on what really matters. Now, I don't understand why God sends storms to our lives. I don't get that. Right? I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to explain everything. I'm not Jesus. Jesus knows that, right? But I can tell you one thing I see time and time again about storms in our life is that when they blow into our lives, we immediately become refocused on the things that matter. I mean, I saw this when I was in middle school. When I was in middle school, we lived right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Hurricane Hugo, you know, Category 4 a hurricane swept through, leveled it. We were without power for weeks. And even though we were friendly with our neighbors, we weren't the kind of neighbors that uh, spent a lot of time hanging out with a bunch of people on our street. But in the wake of that storm, the family that was just a few houses down that had a pool, right, because they had water, they built a, a portable shower station that everyone on the street could use. And our neighbor that was just up the road, right, that was a fisherman and a, a shrimper recreationally that had a freezer full of seafood that was going to lose it, decided instead of just spending it on his family, decided to have a huge cookout and fish frying party for the whole neighborhood. Because storms focus us on what really matters. See, in the Apostle Paul's life, this storm did that too. So as he continues writing, in Philippians 1.21, he would say this, for me, at this moment, imprisoned, waiting trial, possibly being executed, to live is Christ. I mean, if I get to live, I get to share Christ. If I, if I live, I get to be uh, someone that God can use on this earth. But if I die, it's gain. Because if they kill me, I get Jesus. See, he had the ability, even in the middle of that great storm, to know what really matters. You know what's interesting? As the Apostle Paul opens the letter to the church in Philippi, he calls himself by this term, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Earlier in his story, Paul had been in prison in Philippi. And he could have very well written that letter saying, I, Paul, a prisoner. I, Paul, the ex-convict. You know, since it's been 25 years since that art heist, some of the people involved with it have actually been invited and done some of their first interviews ever. The young man who let the thieves in who was working as a night watchman gave his first interview ever this past week. He said, you know, before this happened, I was just a guy that dropped out of college to try to provide for my family. But after this, all the world ever knew me as was the guy who let the criminals in to steal some of the greatest paintings in world history. The resurrection of Jesus, while it is an invitation to a brand new life, I want you to understand that in that life, 
we're invited not to be defined by our storms. You see, the Apostle Paul, his whole identity is based on Jesus. Not his failures, not his storms. He's a servant of God. And many of us today come in wearing the identity of I'm the person who's went through this. Yeah. But you got through it. So let's embrace what God has done in you as a result of that. See, our identity needs to be locked into Jesus because when it is, even in the middle of a storm, we can live with great joy. Let's pray. God, thank you that in in the middle of of a storm that is raging in our lives, God, we can embrace your great hope. God, that we can experience joy in a way that we never have, that you can give us permission to laugh again. God, today as many of us think about where we are with you, maybe today some of us could be reminded that our lives right now, God, they're not fixated on what really matters. That for us, we're spending a lot of energy, a lot of time chasing things that ultimately we don't, even in the, our deepest heart, God, we, we don't believe that they matter a great deal. God, it's our prayer today that in, in a world that has marketed life to us, that we would learn to see that life is only found in you, Jesus. And today that some of us who have looked in the wrong place would, would again turn to you and embrace a life that only you can give us. So with every head bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, nobody stirring, getting up for the next minute, let me ask you this today. The only way you can experience joy in the middle of a storm is if you are living a life that is based on the bedrock of Jesus. If you're allowing his reality to be your reality, if you've chosen to follow him and live your life for him. But in the middle of making that decision, when you face storms, you can face them with joy and peace because we can trust him. And maybe today, as you think about that, you recognize that peace has not been there. Joy hasn't been there. And the life that you know God wants to give you is somewhere out there. And I can tell you where it is. It's in the person of Jesus. All you need to do is receive him. Let him be your life. and He'll change everything. So if that's you today, you say, man, I need that. I need that life. I need Jesus. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hands. That's me. I need Jesus. Anybody else in here? I need Jesus today. That's awesome. That's awesome. God, thank you for those today that make that decision to say that they need you. God, as we look into your heart today and and make that confession that we need you to change our lives, God, help us. And we just pray that you be there. Help us to, to follow you. God, empower us, strengthen us, guide us, and lead us as we walk through this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.